It is, as I mentioned before, uh, it is good to be with you this morning as the, uh, and, uh, and to join in in this celebration this morning in this commissioning service. Uh, I don't know if you uh, took note of the, there was a question uh, during your uh, break time, there was a question on the slide, and the question was in regards to um, an impression, when you've had an impression of someone or something, and it's changed. Either because just over time you learned uh, new information about something, maybe it's just you had an experience with that person, and your, your impression or your first thoughts uh, of something, they altered, they moved, they adjusted. Uh, we're going to talk about that as we look at this passage that Kathy just read for us, as we as we continue on on this journey in this series, talking about uh, Paul and his message to the Corinthians. Uh, just before we get into that, I just want to add my thank you to you as a congregation on behalf of the Mennonite Brethren Church of Manitoba. Um, Ruth has been uh, uh, just a leader and a pastor among us, and so just such a joy to be a part of blessing her this morning. But that's true of also many of you within this congregation. The ways that you have supported one another have also spilled out and, and supported us as a conference. And we're incredibly grateful for that. Thank you for your gifts of, of donation that allow us to do the work of, of working together, spurring one another on towards uh, this mission that God has called us on together. And just incredibly grateful for your part in our family of churches. Um, this morning, I'm feeling a little off because I usually have an iPad, it's a bigger screen, and it told me uh, very recently, yesterday and this morning, that it's old, and so it doesn't update, so I have to, I have to use this this morning, so I'm, a, I'm trying to be iPhone friendly. Anyways, um, let's jump in to talking about Paul and, and what his message is to the Corinthians, picking up off your last couple of Sundays as well. You've already been aware that Paul is speaking to this group of people in this city. It's a diverse city. It's a city that has, uh, especially in this group of believers, there's a number of Jews and Gentiles, and, and it's a city that has uh, quite a diversity to it. And Paul here is giving them some guidance and re-directing you know, uh, so that they're on track with what it is God is calling uh, them to. In, in the very first verse there that, that Kathy read, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. The message of the cross. Crosses are something that we're kind of used to within Christian you know, faith. Uh, on, your church has two of them here at the front even, right? On, on the back, uh, the white part, right? There's a beautiful big cross. And then you've set up for this series, I believe, uh, this cross uh, just a little closer to us as part of the display. Drawing our attention to this incredibly important symbol for us. And within this, uh, I think it's helpful for us to understand where Paul's going here a little bit more about how they would have seen the cross. For us, it's certainly a symbol that draws us towards the activity of God, but we've often kind of right, cleaned it up. It's it's maybe not quite as drastic and, and horrifying as what the people of that day would have understood the cross to be. Their first thought when someone would talk about crucifixion, um, crucifixion was a, is a horrible and painful and torturesome way uh, to punish someone. And yes, it brought end to their life, but it was actually the design of it, part of the value of it for those that were doing was actually the long drawn out pain of that process. You see, for the Roman government at the time of Jesus, uh, there was a couple of ways that one could end up on the cross, or at least a couple. 
One was you know, criminal activity, maybe stuff that we would recognize as criminal activity. But one of the primary ways that someone would end up there is actually when they were rising up against and being a threat against the Roman oppressing government. And this kind of threat, they wanted to snuff out. And so the cross was something they used to demonstrate the power of the Roman government. We're in power. If you end up there, you're not. And there was a huge, strong message that that was trying to portray. There was another part of cross that they would have understood, and that was absolute humiliation. So it wasn't just the process that, yes, brought to an end, or the process that was painful, but it was actually the, the, the display of that process. The thought of a, of a cross being kind of propped up on a hill, even the fact that it's, it's raised up, it's all designed to focus someone's attention to it, to pay attention. The person there, that person there would be seen as not certainly having more power than the Roman government, and certainly a moment of incredibly like humiliating posture. What an awful way to be displayed. So this would have been the understanding, maybe the common understanding of those that were Paul was speaking to when they talk about understanding the cross. A power symbol and something of humiliation. Now in verse 22, Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. There's a first impression when, when people would come to this understanding of the cross. And so for the Jewish people, they're looking for signs. This isn't new for them. We see this all throughout the story of Scripture. As a matter of fact, when they would you know, write telling of the, the creation story, well, it's a, it's a God who brings to life, like out of nothing, only out of God's self, brings life, brings the earth, the water, the humans, like this is an act of power that happens. A little later on, right, the character of Moses strong leader amongst the Jewish people, someone that they would look up to and, and revere and follow. Moses starts off by this experience in the wilderness with a burning bush and God speaking through this burning bush. And in that interaction, there's also Moses doubting, like, uh, are, you, are you sure it's me? Uh, are you really the God who I think you are? And so in that interaction, God says, throw down that staff in your hand. It'll become a snake, and it does. Pick it up again, it becomes a staff, and it does. This is a sign of power. God's more powerful than enough, powerful enough to, to take a stick and, and actually have it living. A little later on, the Egyptian uh, time, when the Egyptians were, were you know, held captive, the, the, the Jewish people, and they're on their way escaping. Moses is leading them away. And now the Egyptian army is chasing after them, and there's chaos behind them, and in front of them, they, they reach the sea. Well, what happens? God's power holds back the water, and they walk through on dry land. See, for the Jewish people, they have experienced time and again that God shows up and displays his power at times when they really need it. And so for the Jewish people at that time, to start to think of Jesus being the Messiah would really, you know, they're starting to pick up, there's signs that Jesus is showing, 
But when Jesus ends up on the cross, it's a huge stumbling block. What kind of sign of power happens when instead of helping overthrow that Roman government, the Roman government holds power to crucify this Messiah? That's a stumbling block. That would be problematic for their understanding. Or how about the Gentiles, the Greeks among them? It's interesting when Paul in this passage uses the word foolish a number of times, and, and when using that word, it, the Greek word, the root word for that is moriah. And that's the English, uh, we gain our, our English word moron from that word. Now, the word foolish, I don't know, to me, it, it kind of sounds like the cute, nice way of saying, ah, oh, you're not quite catching on. That's a bit foolish, right? But Paul here actually is speaking out this sense of like, can you imagine, like for a Greek person trying to figure out God and a powerful God, if you would, if you would start to hear their, their discourse that would go on, it was common for them to have like dialogue and debate, right, within the philosophers to figure out uh, the gods, and they would have many gods. There was room for that in their understanding. And within those many gods, the gods that were more powerful, well, really, that would probably just mean they're over and above other gods, or that there was other humans serving them in ways. And all of a sudden, they're supposed to understand that this Messiah, God's son, is hanging on this cross and, and that's the all-powerful God? Like, how does that work? Why would an all-powerful God actually come to serve humanity? Shouldn't it be the other way around? And so for Paul, that would be a complete nonsensical, foolish, well, you'd even have to kind of be a moron to think that way. It doesn't add up in their first impression of this cross. And Paul's inviting them here to recognize this. Not that this would be news to them, like they would come with this understanding, but this is now to the believers among them. This is now the people who have started to understand and accept the fact that this truly is the Messiah. This truly is the way that God was at work, was this cross. So Paul goes on, and here he's referring to some of the bigger things of God that that we're, that we're seeing and understanding over time. In 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. So here, in this message of the cross, Jesus crucified we have, this, we have this understanding here that Paul's kind of pulling back and saying, actually, we've seen this. God has been among you, using the lowly, working amongst the despised. If we pull back and we look at the story of Jesus, his life, his teaching, we start to have these kind of aha moments where it connects. You see, the story of Jesus, even when Jesus begins his life, it doesn't happen on a big, you know, mansion in a palace of royalty, of uh, some kind of position of honor. He doesn't jump into a family like that. No, it's, it's actually, it's actually these, these young, unmarried couple, rather poor, simple start to life, animals in the vicinity, 
laying in a manger for his first night of rest, it says. I mean, like, this is just not what people would have understood as big and powerful, and God is using the lowly. Coming along in maybe the ways that are unexpected. God continues this trajectory with, with Jesus and his, his story when he starts his ministry. Who does he call out to join him? Who are the central people that he invites? Oh, it's people like a tax collector. Well, they're understood as like the con artist and thief of the day. Or fishermen. Well, they might be really good at providing food. They're not necessarily first seen as understood as like the wise, the educated, the rabbis among them. Or even the fact that central to the story of Jesus' journey is inviting women to be a key central part of things going on. Wouldn't have normally been invited by any leaders to be a part of something. Jesus, over and over, models in his life, and certainly models in his teaching, these ways that God is at work among us. And yes, using the really lowly, using the unexpected, being a part of being at work in the lives of people that they don't measure up in the world's standards. Paul here is, is helping his audience reflect on this fact. Actually, a God who would lay down his life for others, a God whose, whose journey to the cross would be out of a humility and out of a love so that he could extend grace, that actually makes all the sense because we've seen it throughout the, this life and teaching and journey. This is the carrying out of that life and teaching. In the end, uh, the last couple of verses, Paul says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. That's good news for a preacher. But with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. At the beginning, the message of the cross, Paul's understanding that the people within their midst, the people in their community, there's some trouble in understanding Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dying in a place that's usually reserved for those who are absolutely without power, those who are just meant to be absolutely humiliated. A God who demonstrates his love for us and that he lays down his life for us. And then Paul, a number of times throughout this passage, earlier on, you can't, we can't boast in our own journey. We can boast only in the work of God, only in Jesus. Why is that? It's because it has been God that has brought these people to this new understanding, this new impression of the cross and the meaning of it. The cross begins to take shape in their lives and in ours, not as weakness and foolishness, but rather as wisdom and power. A demonstration of God, an all-powerful God, choosing to humble himself to the choice of those he loves, even if that choice is rejecting him. Choosing to humble himself to offer grace upon grace upon grace. This morning, I hope that this is an encouragement and a reminder for you as a church. You've been on this mission together this mission of even discerning, as I mentioned before, what it is we're calling Ruth to, but certainly that's not just calling Ruth to do that. That's calling Ruth to be a part of participating, leading us as pastor to those ends. This is a work that God has called you to. You, Fort Gary, can boast in the Lord of the work that he is doing. 
And as you continue to go on this journey, may this reminder of this shifting our focus to this powerful, this powerful God that submits in his love for us. I think of the words in John 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's our Jesus. And as Jesus does that for us and reminds us of this message of the cross, it's our opportunity to share this love, this message with those around us. That's what you're seeking to do. And as you do that, here's also a reminder and an encouragement along the way, even as Paul mentions. I mean, Paul, of all people, reminds those that he's speaking with that this isn't because Paul is so crafty with his words It's not because Paul is so brilliant of a preacher that people are coming to believe. No, it's the very work of God. So Fort Gary, as you reach out to you, to you, to each other, as you reach out to those around you and welcome them here, just be reminded of this too is the work of God that we can together boast in. Today I want to pray for you as we end our time here. And I pray that as you would leave this place, you would be reminded this morning of this act of love by our God, this act of submitting himself, not in weakness, but in power, submitting himself, not not to be made foolish, but rather to show the wisdom of God to be at work amongst us. Let me pray. God, our creator, a redeemer. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, that you would demonstrate your power in laying down your life, that you'd demonstrate your wisdom in silencing the noise with your grace that is sufficient for all. God, as we stop and give thanks for the cross, help us, even through this week, to, remind, to be reminded that it's not in our being enough in being powerful enough or being wise enough that we meet you. It's an understanding that you come to meet us, inviting us, laying down your life for us. This is the display of work, of power and wisdom. Give us courage, God, that we might be an example of that to others around us, that we might face our fears, love boldly, and risk stepping out on behalf of others. May this be true of the church here at Fort Gary, and all those who come in contact with them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Gary MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.